42 is in the history books and the immigration crisis is boiling over. The cartels and smugglers are in control of the U.S. border as hordes of migrants overwhelm the system. Andrew Arthur, a former immigration judge and now the resident fellow in law and policy for the Center for Immigration Studies, just back from El Paso, has the latest. And then the Congressional Budget Office and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen say the country is on the verge of default, unable to pay its bills by June. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer discusses the political implications of default, as well as the 36-page interim GOP report released by the Oversight Committee Chair James Comer. And then conflict in the Middle East as Israel is under attack. Ilana Friedman and IQ Al-Razuli will explain, is this the spark of a full-scale war in the Middle East? It's the convergence of crisis. Viewpoint this Sunday is next. the bias, the lies and deceit, and bring forth real talk from real people about real news. Providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour. This is Viewpoint This Sunday. Welcome to the weekend news magazine, Viewpoint This Sunday. You're Malcolm Aloud here. Call on this one today, friends, the convergence of crisis. One of the top stories we're surely following, and we've been on top of the last many weeks here, is the immigration debacle in uh, Title 42 uh, down uh, on the southern border. We're going to pick it up right there right now and speak to um, uh, Andrew Arthur, a former immigration judge and uh, now the uh, resident fellow in law and policy for our friends at the Center for Immigration Studies. As you know, CIS is a uh, their research institute, really, more than anything, that uh, really focus on immigration. Art, it's been a while. Delightful to have you back on the broadcast, sir. Thank you so much for having me back, Matt. All right, so this is, you're just back fresh. Uh, as we talk here uh, Sunday morning, you're just back fresh from El Paso and uh, in the last day or two, and uh, spent a better part of a week out there because you were at a town hall as well. Give, a, give me a sense of the feelings of the people, what what their anxieties are, how are they feeling, what, what's really going on on the ground there? Well, you know, we, it's interesting because there is a mix of frustration and fear. Uh, you know, many of the people, most of the people probably who live in El Paso have lived in El Paso for years, if not their entire lives. And they're used to the border. They're used to Juarez, Mexico, being right across the way, which was the scene of a number of cartel battles about uh, eight to 10 years ago. But, you know, El Paso's always had uh, a level of safety about it. Uh, it's very much immune from, or it has been immune from, you know, those uh, fears that exist right across the Rio Grande in Juarez and in the state of Chihuahua. But that's all changed. Uh, in, in fact, the migrants themselves have changed. One of the main things that I learned uh, from talking to law enforcement and talking to the residents down there is that, you know, in the past, 
uh, when migrants would enter the United States illegally, you know, they would be desperate, they would be grateful, they would be, you know, embarrassed and guilty that they, you know, that they did that. The current crop of migrants is completely different. They have high levels of expectation. They feel like they've been invited by the Biden administration mm-hmm. into the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're wondering where their food is uh, going to be given to them or, you know, where they're going to be sleeping. That's the sort of change that uh, especially law enforcement is seen down there. But there's another element, and that is fear. The cartels control uh, territory right across the river in Juarez uh, and in the environs of Juarez. They run drugs over it. In fact, uh, there is a linkage between the drugs and the migrants because the cartels will direct the smugglers to send migrants to a place, draw up all the border patrol agents, and that creates lanes that they can use to move drugs into the United States. Now that so many drugs, particularly fentanyl, are coming into the border down there, those cartels are threatening the people on the other side of the border. Look the other way. If you find drugs on your property, don't call the police. Don't touch them. We're going to come and get them. And so you, what a, I, I did a town hall, but I also did uh, you know, a, a supper at a house a few miles outside of town. And People were afraid to actually be going to that supper, knowing that people were coming from Washington who were going to talk to them about what was going on. The cartels don't want anybody knowing what's going on down there. They want to keep it uh, quiet. Interesting point you bring up about the expectations of the migrants is is quite fascinating. That's that's an interesting point uh, for folks to... Uh, so their whole mindset has changed, in other words, and now they're expecting certain things. Uh, so it's it's like that with 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 folks when you keep giving or you 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 know the expectations are a certain way then they they expect so the expectations of migrants now are what they are now the cartels are really controlling pretty much all of the border here and this has really handicapped law enforcement in a lot of ways what's this doing for crime specifically uh, how how bad is that right on the borders there. So most of the street crime on the U.S. side of the border uh, are quality of life issues. There are people, you know, defecating in the alleys, changing their clothes, sleeping on the streets. Although the El Paso Police Department, ICE and CBP went in there on May the 9th uh, and started handing out leaflets to the migrants who were, you know, in the downtown area around the Sacred Heart Church down there, telling them that, you know, they should go to a local processing center that was nearby. They'd be given documents. Uh, and, you know, the, the expectation was that they would be released. And by and large, they were released. Once they have that document in their hand, Malcolm, they can move anywhere that they want in the United States. Those folks who were, you know, down at the Sacred Heart Church down in downtown El Paso uh, were down there because they'd entered illegally and because, you know, various, uh, you know, charitable organizations were feeding them and giving them blankets and giving them clothes, all those things that they expected, they got. Uh, And so, you know, this became a problem because the Border Security Expo 2023 was occurring just a few blocks away. And that started on May the 10th and and drew a bunch of, uh, you know, federal officials from Washington. It would have been a very bad picture and very jarring. Uh, and I believe that's the reason that ICE and CBP went down there and the El Paso police come by every day. They hustle everybody up. The trash trucks move in and then the migrants are allowed to go right back to where they were. 
Now, you have an op-ed in the uh, New York Post um, as uh, Title 42 ends, El Paso residents feel abandoned by Biden. Uh, I would have to say that's true about most communities, uh, not only throughout the border, but I think throughout the country, because these folks are pushing out there. How many people, like with the migrants you're speaking about in El Paso, how, any idea are, how many are staying in that area or kind of that becomes their quality of life? And how many find it a, within themselves to get out of there and get more into the interior of the country? Any idea what that uh, what those numbers look like? Sure. Well, you know, the one thing that I can tell you is that most of the migrants across the border, you know, be it in El Paso or Del Rio or down in Brownsville, they don't want to stay in those communities. You know, most of them, the vast majority of them have destinations in the United States. Some have family, some have jobs waiting for them. Some have jobs that they've been directed to go to by the cartels and the smugglers to pay off their smuggling debts. But, and, you know, it's not a cheap proposition to make it to the United States. It can cost anywhere between, you know, $4,000 and $10,000 just to get here. But many of those people show up with nothing. They've spent all of that money just to get to the United States. Those are the ones that find themselves in, you know, downtown El Paso. They don't have any bus tickets out. Uh, you know, they really don't have any means to provide for themselves. And that's why uh, Mayor Oscar Leeser, who is a Democrat, although he ran a nonpartisan election, uh, and Governor Greg Abbott, the Republican uh, governor of Texas, are both busing those migrants out and away from El Paso and other cities in Texas because, you know, they've got nowhere to go. You know, they believe the Biden administration has invited them in, as I mentioned, and to a right, large right. degree, that's true. All right, um, this, uh, let me ask you, this money that you just mentioned, this is all money that, uh, just make sure people know, this is the money they're paying is going to the cartels to get them across here, right? The, these uh, traffickers. Yeah, it's going yeah. to the smugglers and the cartels. Right. right. Not that long ago, uh, you know, smuggling across the border in 2018 was a $500 million business. Right. Today it's a fifteen million, a uh, fifteen billion dollar uh, because of the the huge increase in the numbers, yeah. and because they know, and they know. Let me underscore that word: that once they get to the United States, the odds are much better than not that they're going to be released into this country and allowed to remain here for years, if not right, forever. Right, right. Let me ask you about this other story now that plays into this thing, and uh, this was the federal judge. Uh, on uh, Friday, they're blocking the release of the migrants uh, without the court dates. Uh, and um, this happened very, very late Thursday, but it was reported on mostly Friday here. Uh, White House wasn't happy about this. They said, so let me just say on the ruling that you just laid out to me, this was at a press conference, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre there says uh, uh, that uh, sabotage, she said, it's pure and simple sabotage, speaking of the judge, and saying how, this is how this, uh, you know, reading um, w- was appearing to them. So this this uh, stops them from pushing all of these people out into the interior of the country. W- talk about that. What does that really mean? And with this federal judge on this ruling. Right. And the, the judge in question is T. Kent Weatherell of the Northern District of Florida. He had issued a uh ruling in a case uh, on March the 8th. And that case was Florida versus United States in which he had considered, you know, reams and reams of discovery evidence as the uh, state of Florida had secured uh, in support of the state of Florida's argument that the Biden administration was releasing migrants in violation of law. And Weatherell largely agreed. 
And the one policy that he found that was most egregious was something called parole plus ATD. Yeah. That was where Border Patrol agents spent about 15 minutes processing migrants uh, and they paroled them into the United States, which is, you know, uh, an immigration term that means that you're let in, but you're not admitted to the country. Uh, and the idea was that those folks would appear at some point in the future to get a, what's called a notice to appear, the charging document and removal proceedings that would really start the process. Um, but, you know, ICE, CBP, DHS became backlogged in uh, issuing those notices to appear. It was originally 60 days, then 90 days, then a year. And now reporting that we've seen indicates that some of those migrants aren't expected to come in to get their charging documents, Malcolm, the charges to start the removal proceedings for a decade. Wow. So, you know, whether I looked at that and he said, you don't have any authority to release these people without court dates at a minimum. Right. So you have to do that. That was on March the 8th. On May the 10th, uh, uh, CBP issued a memorandum telling the agents to do exactly the same thing. When uh, border processing centers uh, became overcrowded, they were told to simply release those people on parole to go back and get a, uh, mm -hmm. a notice to appear at some point in the future. And Weatherell said, look, this is exactly the same thing that I just shut down. You know, you don't have the authority to do this. You don't have the ability to do this and you're not allowed to do it. Right. And I want to go back to uh, Jean-Pierre's statement for a second, you know, to say that this is sabotage. Sabotage is an action, but it's an action that's carried out by somebody. Who's the saboteur that she's accusing here? The federal judge who's actually applying the law, you know, the state of Florida, you know, asking the federal judge to apply the law. That was that was reprehensible. If a Republican were to refer to a uh, a federal judge as a saboteur and, you know, Lord knows there were plenty of uh, Trump initiatives that were shut down. The New York uh, Times would scream. I can guarantee you they're not going to scream about Corrine Jean-Pierre's statements. The optics, of, to me, appear to be changing a little bit, Art. I think, um, yes and no, from a lot of the stuff I'm seeing, I think the vast, vast majority of Americans are seeing this is really very dangerous, what's taking place here. It's no longer just an immigration problem. It's a national security problem on the levels of something we've never seen. The facilities, most of them across the border, and what you just reported in El Paso is repeated all over the border for hundreds and thousands of miles all the way across the, the program. It's just constant. And our facilities, I see reports saying they're over 200 uh, percent. They can't handle anymore. Um, the people are just overflowing. I mean, rule, the point here Art, is the rule of law. Law and order is breaking down. Now, you know, as an immigration former judge yourself and seen this, but I, I think we're we're seeing it crumbling here right there at the border. Speak about that point about in the optics of what people are really understanding the, the dangerous aspect to this thing. Yeah. And, you know, you make a, a number of great points in, you know, the brief statement that you just made. The rule of law is, you know, gone at the southwest border. Wow. Except that I got to give kudos to one organization, and that is the Texas Department of Public Safety. Mm -hmm. uh, Governor Abbott uh, last week uh, or the week before uh, sent you know, hundreds of uh, state troopers down there to supplement the hundreds of state troopers he already had at the southwest border. Mm -hmm. Anybody who had gone to the border 10 years ago would have seen Border Patrol agents, you know, at the border and in those Sad. border towns everywhere. You just don't see them. 
Uh, you know, I was down at the border and in places I saw Border Patrol agents, but in, you know, vast swaths right across from a major urban area, there was nobody other than Texas uh, state troopers and uh, uh, soldiers from the Texas National Guard who were down there. Those are the ones who were, you know, uh, creating a show of force in downtown El Paso to push those migrants further south. Uh, into less populated areas where at least it's easier for Border Patrol to, you know, gather them up. If they had poured across that border into El Paso, given the Border Patrol staffing that I saw there, it would have been mayhem. But, you know, by and large, it is mayhem. The border is not supposed to look like this. You know, you, you get a couple, couple three, maybe 10 people crossing the border illegally. That's not a thousand, you know, not massive groups of, you know, women and children and single adult males, um, you know, so by and large, you know, the rule of law is broken down. I equated to my home city of Baltimore, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's ever been to Baltimore knows that there are, you know, a number of beautiful places there that are very safe. Yeah. But there are massive pockets in the city of Baltimore where the criminals run the town. You know, police are afraid to go. And that's pretty much what the border is like right now. With respect to the national security aspect of this, you know, I go back to the 9-11 report that was issued in 2004, a bipartisan report, you know, that talked about the vulnerabilities of an insecure border. Uh, and, you know, they said, you know, prior to in the years before September 11th, border security was not considered to be an aspect of national security. And, you know, for a decade or more, Congress listened and the executive branch listened. Remember, Malcolm, you know, I served under Bill Clinton. I served under Barack Obama. You know, you you might think of those uh, presidents as liberals, but they believed in a strong border. They knew uh, that border security was absolutely crucial to national security. That lesson has been lost uh, in this administration. But it's totally gone. You're you're exactly right. I'm glad you just told folks what you just said. You ever envisioned anything like this before in your life? And the bottom line, we only have a moment left, but um, what's the uh, what's the price we're going to pay for this? To, to the point, please. Never, never in my life have I seen anything like this. And, you know, I was a personal advisor to Janet Reno, who was Bill Clinton's uh, attorney general. Yeah. Uh, and if Ms. Reno were alive today and could see this, she would be sickened. The national wow. security impacts are significant. Most, yeah. uh, you know, objective observers that I talk to say, uh, that an event is, you know, just a question of when, not whether. Yeah. And the American people are starting to turn against even legal immigration at this point. We've seen it in the polls. Right. All right. Uh, you know, and we need to have legal immigration. We need to have order. Well, but you're talking about the optics now again, Art. And I like what you're talking about because I mentioned that 10 minutes ago. You know, the optics are changing in this country. You agree with that? No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I don't even think that the Biden administration comprehends all of the harm that they're doing. And that's going to be generational harm. That's not going to be, you know, harm until the next election. This is going to last. It's going to stick. People are always going to remember these, you know, these past few weeks and the few weeks to come. Yeah, yeah. The harm that's being done to our nation is... uh... It's, it's not going to be easy to repair or uh, fix this thing in, in any short order. It's, it's severe. It's it's a, really a sucker punch to the gut, sadly, I have to say, Art. Um, it's it's a, it's a horrible situation, really. Uh, the rule of law breaks down. Uh, Art, um, thank you for joining us on Viewpoints. And just marvelous always to get your perspective. Uh, really appreciate it, sir. Well, thank you so much, Malcolm. And uh, my thanks to all your listeners and all the best.
Yeah, absolutely. And cis.org uh, is uh, where you'll see uh, uh, the arts uh, very much associated with Mark Gregorian there and all of the, the uh, Todd Bensman, all the wonderful folks who work uh, really, really hard there at Center for Immigration Studies Friends. Uh, it's a really, to me, the go-to uh, organization uh, in this fight. Uh, and uh, so check that out. The, and again, Arts uh, Op-Ed is in the New York Post. There's Title 42 ends. El Paso residents feel abandoned by Biden. Check that out as well. He puts a pretty good uh, human touch on the whole story, which is why I wanted to start right there, friends. Now, we're going to turn the heat up a little bit into politics here in just moments. And Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Schaefer joins us, uh, president of the London Center for Policy Research Beyond. And we'll talk about all these things that are on the, on the political side that are happening in the administration. Stay right there. More Viewpoint in just a moment. The America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Welcome back to Viewpoint this Sunday. And uh, I want to turn our attention now to some of the hottest political stories uh, in the country right now. Some pretty serious, and they are crises to be sure. Uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Tony Schaefer joins me here, and he is the president of the London Center for Policy Research. Uh, Tony Jeannot is a CIA-trained intelligence officer. He spent many decades uh, in global and national security and understands it better than about anybody. Uh, Tony, welcome to the broadcast. Always good to have you, sir. Malcolm, always great to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good. It seems like you always have me on when there's total chaos. So I appreciate it. <laughs> well, let's, you're, you, you come to my mind when that happens. Ah, Tony, he can help me figure this out, man, if anybody can. So yeah, it is, it is total chaos. And that's why I called it the convergence of crisis, because it's a crisis everywhere. Right, so the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, uh, agrees with uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and that the U.S. government uh, faces a significant risk of being unable to pay the bills uh, in the first couple weeks of June. Somewhere in there, it's going to hit the debt ceiling increase and they won't be able to pay things, supposedly. Right. Of, cor- of course, you know, think about it, Tony, in this terms here. It's like any family has gone through this in their lives at one point or another as well, or our businesses. I mean, this is a human condition of... Uh, normal business in America, but not for the federal government, because they typically always have a way out as they spend people's money. Um, You know, clearly it's it's pretty, pretty sad. Now, Republicans control the House. Uh, They passed the bill to raise the borrowing limit uh, while also cutting government spending, which has been their their message right along. And and they've been very clear on that. It's what they ran for elections, what they got in there for. Uh, Biden has insisted he's not touching it. He wants it. uh, He wants an untouched debt limit bill. And then, hey, we'll talk about the rest afterward. Yeah, like uh, anybody would believe that. Right. 
course. Yeah, previously they've done this. The Democrats have done it. They've used the debt ceiling thing to negotiate things they want. It's very commonplace. Yet they don't want to do that, or at least the people around Biden don't want to do it. Uh, what do you think of this at the top here? So it's it's very clear that um, Biden is uh, just like uh, his namesake, uh, Joe uh, Stalin. Uh, the, the Russians have a saying, what's ours is ours, what's yours is negotiable. And uh, that's what he's trying to do here. And, you know, look, uh, we could get into a lot of detail, but I think uh, Joe Biden most represents uh, out of 20th century leaders, Joe Stalin, by the, the, both this approach and his willingness to be corrupt. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about his corruption a little bit later here. Yeah. Yeah. But focusing solely on the debt issue, mm-hmm. I hear this uh, this comment all the time that we've never defaulted. We have defaulted. It apparently happened back in the 20s and the world didn't end. So uh, I, I get tired of the constant fiction perpetrated by the media. Even some on the conservative side don't understand. You need to do a little research before you start talking about this stuff. And I'm going to say something that may get me in trouble, but I'm going to be very blunt about it. Uh, ever since uh, the, the Civil War, the, the 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 Democrats have looked for a replacement for slaves, and, and and they have now found that path. They are now working to reestablish uh, essentially 21st uh, 21st century version of slavery, where you have a permanent underclass. That's why they're working so hard to bring people in through the border. They're trying to establish an economic underclass, mm. simply put, that, wow. that, be, that benefits them economically and politically. That's yeah. what they're trying that, that is a really interesting angle to put out there, man. Uh, wow. This gives you something to think about. Uh, well, I, really, think it's, I think it's factually supportable yeah. based on yeah. everything going on. Well, no, there is a point in the underclass you're talking about and the economic ruins of our country uh, right now that are transpiring. Um, when you just mentioned Biden a moment ago here, and you got yeah. me thinking when you talk about him as the president, and being the Stalin and so on and so forth. But I, I just got thinking and I just it brings up a bigger point or problem or quandary we have, Tony, and that is that it really isn't Biden. It's not the Stalin, but it's the people no. now who have hijacked this whole. I agree. No, no, I, I know I, you do. I know you he do. Is, yeah. He is the he's yeah. the, the figurehead. And, and but I think be, we need to point that out, though, I'm saying, you know, it's yeah, not you're camera. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that there's something bigger happy here. happy to play friend. that role, though. I think right. he's happy to play. Well, he doesn't even know what the hell role he's playing. I mean, frankly, I'm not trying to be smug or smart. I hate all that crap, you know? I mean, you know, to think. Well, we, we all a- know that. No, it's it's Obama's third term. We know that from just right. the lineage of the policies. And so, no, I I, I agree with you. And I, I think you're right. Yeah. Joe yeah. Biden. But but before that, Joe was uh, constantly working when he did have. You know, look, look I've testified before the man. I, I've met him several times. Yeah. And the Joe Biden that I knew and and testified before is not the Joe Biden that currently is no. the, in the position of president. So I agree with you. It's time that we play hardball because, right. you, as you right. pointed out, Malcolm, right. in the past, the Democrats have used this process to gain uh, political leverage over the process of what they want or did not want. And it's like it's long past time. And I, I understand that Chip Roy, I was listening to to one of the radio programs today, I understand Chip Roy was able to successfully pull together in the House at least the coalition of Republicans who stood up and, and stood fast on this, saying, no, we, we demand spending cuts. Yeah. And and then, frankly, they're not going enough, far enough as far as I'm concerned, because the federal government is uh, is uh, actually doing spending, which benefits the communist Chinese, uh, especially regarding this whole uh, mm-hmm. economic program that's actually a, a MacGuffin hiding in plain sight for um, the green energy thing. Right, this whole right. uh, That's right. that whole thing is green energy, and the only country that benefits twenty five percent of all pollution it's China. That, it, it comes from China, and yet Absolutely. we're paying China. 
Yeah. We're enriching China yeah. to help yeah. them. Nothing uh, makes any sense, Tony. Nothing, nothing makes, makes any sense. sense. So, yeah. so I'm just saying, Malcolm, I don't care what, what it looks like. Yeah. It's time the Republicans take a hard line because uh, if we if they don't take a hard line, we'll have no country to support come come 15, 20 years from now. Yeah, yeah. Well, what McCarthy has proposed with this and the fact that he got that through the House was, was uh, fantastic, uh, I, I think is more of an appetizer or optics, if you will, Tony, to throw something out there right now, because real change is going to have to happen with a new administration, clearly. But you've got to get some optics happening to show the problems, right? The, the chaos, the crisis. And that's what's happening here uh, with this runaway uh, debt that's happening right. in our country. And uh the money they just keep printing it up and economically right. though all the economic people i speak to feel that we're on the verge of a, a, a columnist collapse here uh right in front of us uh you you feel that way so look i um what when you look at the different a- aspects of the different factors within the economy and mm-hmm. the budget process um there's really it's it's like we started out talking about Malcolm. it's all chaos it's all chaos. Yeah. Uh, most presidents come in, even Bill Clinton, uh, even through his triangulation. B- Bill Clinton was a master of triangulation. He got his second term, I believe, largely because he was able to kind of uh, play it to the middle, find a way to get to that point. Yeah, he uh, did. Or, he did. Or everybody agreed enough. Not not completely. There's no interest here in doing that. And so no, that's right. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 And so, so, you know, I always hear about, uh, yeah. the, like oh, on the, I don't mean to divert here, but the pandemic thing, all these other folks now are saying, Oh, can't we all get along? Yeah, we were wrong. It's like, no, no, right. it's time. Well, there's a price to pay for things, right? There's a price to, to pay. And Maybe. so the, the, I, my belief is for the economic issues, yeah. for the comp commercial issues, yeah. it's time that those who are undermining the economy start paying a price. Yeah. And that price has to be, uh, uh, figuring out how to right. stop the runaway inflation. I mean, come on. Now, I went into the store yesterday just to buy a few things. $68 for like, you know, it's like, what? One bag, if you're lucky. Is, is this, is, as if, <laughs> as if <laughs> this is benefiting uh, their constituents. I'm just saying the unlimited spending at the federal level has a huge impact yeah. on how we move forward economically. And it's yeah. time that, that our side do a better job of linking yeah. those things together. Well, part of the optics as well now is this whole firm, now, this uh, term they're using. Uh, and uh, let's see, uh, uh, Chris uh, Chris Van Hollen, Senator Holland um, out of Maryland, Democrat, says, we're running out of time to avoid a, back to what you said moments ago, a catastrophic default uh, and MAGA Republicans are still playing Russian roulette with our economy. Well, two things there, Tony. Number one, as you said, uh, they're just crying wolf and screaming their heads off as they always do. But the second right. thing is uh, that uh, this MAGA Republicans is a term that they're is they're endearing. And Biden, the Biden cabal has made it part of their strategy, obviously, to refer to anything that's happening out of the House as a MAGA Republican right. problem to sort of tie it to Trump and the rest of it. A pretty right. interesting strategy, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's yeah. I mean, if, for those, I just think it's they're only affecting about 15 percent of the people who in the country. It's like, OK, 15 percent are never going to give up being loyal Kool-Aid drinking Democrats and progressives. So it is what it is. But I think the folks in the middle have figured it out. It's like, yeah, it's not the MAGA Republicans. So I'm just saying, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. All right, let's turn our attention now to the Congressional Committee, uh, the Oversight Committee Chair, James Comer. Yeah. Uh, boy, I watched that that hearing. Uh, it was a it was a must uh, watch there. And uh, so uh, the uh, they say the members of the Biden family got ten million dollars from foreign entities, I- at least that plus more. Um, yeah. And uh, but the, the so let me a couple of interesting things. Here. CBS News says. Uh, Okay, so GOP says family got 10 million from foreign entities, uh, but Democrats note no sign of Joe Biden's involvement. Now that's, ah. C- C- oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Now that's CBS News. New York Times comes back, you're going to love these. New York Times says House Republican report finds no evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden. That. This is what these, uh, I, I was going to say something not nice there, but this is what these people, I had to catch myself, Tony. Um, this yeah. is what these people say. And uh, there, I got, uh, there's a litany of these things here now. But uh, so somehow everybody's uh, supposed to determine that all of Biden's family went rogue, flying on Air Force Two all over the all right. over the world, dealing with all of our adversaries in bed with everybody, wreaking millions of dollars, throwing it through shell accounts. You, right. you, it's it's a bad game of Monopoly. You couldn't possibly tr- follow the trace of money, and all of this is happening. Now Joe Biden was totally squeaky clean; they had nothing to do with nothing. Do you buy that? Well, so let's break this down in the constituent parts first. Joe Biden benefited by the fact his family benefited and that 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 family benefited from him taking a knee or shaping policy a certain way. That happened. It is. That's a link. And uh, some of the other direct links was where Hunter and and Joe were sharing accounts. So, I mean, come on, Malcolm, if if, if, uh, Hunter gets an account and he shares access to that account with Joe Biden, he's benefiting Joe Biden. This is how stupid uh, and obvious the mainstream media is in trying to deny this. But let's take a, a one, let's go one level up. I am fed up with listening to Trump officials complain about this. Malcolm, they had four years, four freaking years to uncover this stuff, and they did not. And I, they did not because uh, they were not aggressive. Uh, they did not do those things which were necessary to protect the president. And I, I as much as anything, as much as yes. Uh, the things we're seeing now where the Department of Justice and Treasury did not report these things, took a knee, allowed President Trump to, to be impeached. His own officials did not do the due diligence necessary to uh, to, uh, to get this out. So God bless uh, Comer, mm-hmm. Congressman Comer. But the fact is this all happened under the Obama administration and the Trump administration allowed it to fester and not be used to benefit uh, the American people by telling the truth about Joe Biden. This to me, every time I see one of the Trump folks out there talking about this, who w- was actually in office, mm-hmm. it's like, what the heck were you doing? I mean, sir, it's time we criticize our own side right, for not having right. done the right thing, because we would not be here today with Joe Biden and in, in the presidency had all this been uncovered yeah. properly. During, uh, with and many of us thought it was going to be uncovered, but it, it, like you say, it never was. But but let me just no, also... no, 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 Malcolm, Malcolm. It was not only not not uncovered; mm-hmm. it was hidden by the federal bureaucracy. That's my point. That's they right. did That's not right. go in and, right. and clean out those people who were right. there committed to protecting. The yeah, Democrats. Uh, well, I've said that too as well, Tony. I'm with you. The bureaucracy. This is what's running the whole thing here. This is why That's there right. were all those leaks and troubles That's that Trump right. had. Uh, they were out to screw him over, and they did it successfully. But but on the flip side of this thing, 
You know, Tony, I think it's an interesting conversation. Another time we need to dig more into that one because I have a couple other things to talk to you about. But I got to say sure. to you, I find it fascinating uh, that uh, I don't disagree with anything you said there from perspective of what you're speaking about. But but there is a flip side to some of this, which does need to be drilled down a little bit more. You know, Trump did so much canoe rocking as it was in office. Then he right. had the head, then he had, which really pissed them off. Now, with what you and I just talked about, any more right. of that rock would have blown DC up, which is probably what it needs anyways, is to come to some sort of a reckoning. Uh, but they would have tipped the canoe right over on its ass, probably. But put that all aside, they had the headwinds of this COVID fiasco debacle that they were all playing with and not knowing what the okay. severity, you know, that was all coming at them. So you got to remember now, Trump was dealing with four, pl- four plus years of them trying to nail him to a cross every right. single hour of every single freaking day, Correct. no matter what he did. They right. had the COVID headwinds and all these nut jobs, Fauci okay. and company and, okay. and Perks okay. and a whole bunch, damn bunch of them. I don't think, quite frankly, I think he got to a point of the administration back to Trump. And I know you know this already anyways. I don't think he even know what the hell time of day it was or what day it was. I mean, things were happening so fast and at their face. Well, they were just I don't dealing with that. crisis. I, mean, look, I, I, I know you know. I know. I, I talked to Mark Meadows, but that's that's their fault. Yeah. Because I, oh, I, I don't I, disagree Mark, with you. Mark actually admitted at the end they had no idea who to trust. It's like, okay, whose exactly. fault is that? Exactly. Exactly. Whose fault is that? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I what you just said is a mouthful right there. It's exactly my sentiments. I could see him saying that. We didn't know who the hell to trust so anymore or what point. to do. No, but but, that, but Malcolm, that's my point. The, the, if we're, it's if a they good go point. Like Trump, he cannot afford to make the same mistakes again. This one hundred percent. I agree. Is a is a huge unforced error by the Trump administration. See, you're at a point that I'm at, Tony. I, I just I respect you and I and I love you, brother. And you're at the same point I am. So you're speaking of the yeah. choir with me personally. I'm at the same point, Tony. So I totally get it. I'm just looking at the whole thing from a listener standpoint and trying to you know drill it well, down. Well, the here. listeners, totally I mean, and I, this, is, this may be difficult for them to understand, but. Yeah. They need to demand better. If, tr- if Trump is going to be the guy, then he's got to. You need to demand Trump that he pick the right people next time. I agree. Are, are able to actually do the hard work of protecting. Which is really one of the points Trump always talked about with leadership from his books and his time in New York. We right. talked. He bragged about leadership, and that right. leadership was a product of surrounding yourself with the right damn people. But exactly. I got to tell you what, Tony Schaefer. I hate to say this because I like the man and his policies. If that's the I case. Do too. Then he failed at that in those four years because he surrounded himself very, very, yes, and, with and a and bunch been, of buffoons. We and that's what I'm saying. It's like we, we need to are. learn. From, our side needs to learn from its mistakes, or else we're going to make them again. Well, I think what the American people have to do is let them, you know, keep the gloves off and punch them all in the kisser. They're going to have to yep. knock the canoe over on its ass. Is all I said to you. I mean, come on, you know, yep. there is no other way if you're going to fix the thing, you know. Right. Exactly. We're coming to a point of reckoning, is what we're talking about, and that's this convergence of crisis I'm speaking about here today. It's absolutely everywhere. All right, let me um. Let me move on to one other thing here. Uh, sure. And and, and uh, by the way, um, uh, oh, I, I just there's one side note I got to tell listeners, and I know you know this as well already. On uh, to wrap this package up real fast here, uh, the, um, uh, the you know the congressional committee they asked for that report uh, from. Um, oh yes. Uh, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yes. yeah. And uh, through, from the FBI, right? The FBI. Right. And the right. FBI basically told him to go pound tar. That was quite Pretty something. Much. These bastards, yeah. what are they? are just unbelievable. Talk about a Nazi group of Nazis. Yeah. They're right there. Yeah. 
you know, right? No, no Malcolm, they've become a, a, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Democrat Party. There's no doubt. Yeah. And it, it, boy, they would have been Johnny on the spot if a report like that was regarding Trump. They would so they won't had- release this report. The listeners, you know what I'm talking about here, but there's the FBI report. This is the, they've subpoenaed it. The Congressional Committee and Comer said we damn right. well want that report. They expected to have it. I think it was Friday or something like that. And Mo- it, Monday. Of course, Monday was a Mon- deadline. Okay, Monday. Okay, well then, yeah. I guess maybe it was a drop dead deadline. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But somebody said, uh, anyways, anyways. Yeah. Um, no, they, they denied it. So no, to me, that's that. That in, it's. Now, what's Comer's next move? Is there a next move on that, or do you know? Well, I think they um, said they're going to do something, but I don't know what the hell having, something. Speaking is. as a whistleblower, we were able to essentially know where most of the documents were that we needed to make our case, even though yeah. they ended up just denying it and lying about it. I mean, in one case, uh, for my unable danger, the thing I blew the whistle on, they found the documents, then then pretended they didn't find the documents because they found them on a top secret server uh, uh, within uh, an organization run by Jim Clapper. So Jim Clapper is not going to give up anything. We all, all know these Jim people Clapper. are. Uh, Clapper, so I'm Brennan, saying, yeah, you know, yeah. Jim Clapper, uh, uh, Christopher Ray, wow. they're all yeah. the same mind. So it they're a bunch matter. of communists, is what they yeah, are. It doesn't matter if the documents are there or not. They're going to they're going to try to hide them. So well, they're all in cahoots, is what you're saying. They're right. sleeping exactly. with each other. They're they're exactly. communists, they all of them. Uh, you can listen to uh, uh, to Tony for sure. He he's he's always hot on these things. But uh, the hard truth with Tony Schaefer, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, on the Mark Out Loud Talk Radio Network and uh, listen to it there. All the shows go to podcast, friends. Uh, there's so much happening on the network, and there's a lot more going to happen in the weeks and months ahead. I can promise you that much here. Uh, Tony, always a privilege for me to have you, sir. Thank you for joining me, buddy. Oh, thanks. I always enjoy the conversation, Malcolm. Thank you. All right, friends, stay right there. We're going to jump into Middle East politics. There's some really big things going on now in in, in Israel and uh, Gaza and Iran and Middle East and uh, Middle East experts coming on just next year. Stay right there. More Viewpoint in just a moment. was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. And no matter where we look, and many of the stories we're covering today and in the news cycle are they're they're seeped in crisis mode, and that's the tragedy of where we find ourselves at this moment of time. You know, uh, we're going to dive right now into some very important stories to me that are hundred million percent being overlooked, friends. Nobody is talking about the stories we're going to talk about next. Uh, they really are off the radar screen, yet the, 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 the repercussions from the stories we're talking about now have grave consequences uh, for all. And that's really the point of this story. Let's talk about that next with uh, IQ Al Razuli is here. 
um, just uh, based out of Europe. He's an Iraqi exile, Arabic speaker, scholar, author, um, follows all these world affairs very close in the Middle East and actually travels there every year. Um, so uh, good to have IQ. And our, our dear, dear uh, friend here, Ilana Friedman, joins us here. She's a veteran intelligence analyst. Ilana uh, has been at this for many years. She actually was raised, born in, uh, not born, but she uh, was uh, spent, raised her family, spent many, many years in, in Israel. So know, knows the background pretty well. Both of these folks are Middle East experts, uh, to say the least. They're both successful authors, and uh, just great uh, students of the game, as I always say. Uh, Q, I'd like to go to you first right now and talk about uh, what's happening in Israel right now uh, with uh, the um, the Islamic uh, Jihad. Are, uh, they're actually targeting Jerusalem for the first time in this current conflict anyways, and the barrage of rockets are coming over. Uh, so far, there's been uh, dozens killed, uh, well over 30 uh, Palestinians in Gaza and uh and uh, one or two maybe in Israel. It's very limited yet there, but it's become very active, the scene there. How close to a full-scale war in the Middle East is this, or is this just another blip on the screen of just another small conflict? Any other nation being attacked the way Israel is attacked would have retaliated by exterminating everybody in Gaza. IQ, let me interrupt. You know how I explained what you just said, uh, very serious, uh, to my wife the other day, we talked about Israel, and I said, you know, Israel is just looking at theirs. There's God's people right there. It's a piece of heaven right there, in the in the absolute center of hell. It's it's positioned right in the center of hell. That's the way I told her privately. I'm telling you now publicly. Am I wrong? Absolutely right. Actually, the conflict has everything to do with the Islamic religion. Since Sharia compliant Islam will never allow any entity other than Islamic. To exist in the Middle East. All right, but who's the who's the aggressor here? Just let's get to the point. Who's in this conflict? Who's the aggressor? The Islamic Jihad, Hamas. They yeah. are doing a double criminal. They are attacking civilian targets in Israel <laughs> from civilian targets in Gaza, so that when the Israelis retaliate and kill civilians in Gaza, they are blamed in the United Nations as they are usually twenty four hours a day. So right. the question, the answer is. It's obvious to me. It's, I mean, it's not even illogical. Look, I come from Iraq. I come from the Middle East. I know the background. How is it possible anybody can ask the question, who is the aggressor? Right, okay. Israel was created in war. They they talk about Nakba. Nakba is the catastrophe that the Palestinians... Right. Because so Israel is defending itself. Uh, the, you, you've spread out the aggressor now. I, I, I asked you that big question up front. Honest question. Are we closer to, is this close, I mean, is this just another blip on another, because uh, we've had these constantly in the Middle East, or is this uh, closer to a full-scale war in the Middle East? It, it most probably will be a, a full-scale war. Let me ask you, Ilana, uh, these these conflicts happen routinely out there. You can set them to your watch on the time of day, basically. Uh, I want to talk about Iran, how Iran fits into this, the uh, this Islamic Jihad, the attacks itself. That's a very important component of that. Speak about that, please, and where we're at. Yeah. For, uh, first of all, thank you. Um, the, this is thank you, Malcolm. This is a very important co- topic, and no one is covering it. Right. In mainstream media, <clears throat> the um, uh, the the this this whole situation started about five five days ago. Up to now, Israel is 
has received over a thousand rockets in the last five days, all of them aimed at uh, civilian targets. When we talk about civilian targets, we're talking about heavily populated areas and communities and towns and cities, including Tel Aviv and now Jerusalem. Um, This is something, these rockets are are really not aimed. They are simply fired um, from... Why are they doing this at this time, Alana? Why? Because their their whole methodology, their whole ideology is based on destroying Israel and replacing the entire country with... um, But why now? Why now? It's not why now. It's always... This is just a new chapter in a very... So is this just another, again, another blip on the screen? Or does this have the potential... Tell me why... I'm I'm really trying to drill down to understand why this is different, please. First of all, it's different because Israel itself is, like the United States deeply divided politically and in a state of political crisis. So uh, this is the first thing that that makes this different. The second thing is uh, Israel. the Israeli military has recovered some of these uh, rocket pieces and they have discovered that these are ir- from Iran. There is no... Now that's uh, what I want to talk about now, thank you, is yeah. Iran. So let's talk about who's behind this exactly. And you got to remember now, and, and I, I want you to stay on this a moment. Let me let me explain, Alana, and then we'll get IQ on the backside to opine on this as well. But let's stay right on this point now. We've been talking steadily, please understand everybody, about Iran and nuclear weapons, Iran and nuclear weapons, Iran and where they're at and blowing Israel off the map. We know the history. Americans know the history. They're not as stupid as you think they are. They understand what's going on out here. This news is not being reported because our own country is on fire and burning. There are problems everywhere. Crisis is everywhere. So you can't worry about what the hell's going on over there when you've got to worry about what's happening right in your own city and town and country. I mean, come on. That's what's happening. So that's why ignorance runs amok. That's exactly what's happening. The world seems to be off its axis somewhere, Ilana. It's the strangest thing. But with Iran now, is this their move? I'm wondering what, where the smoke and mirrors here and the distractions. Is this their move to distract or do they have a bigger agenda? And does Israel sense that? And I know Israel's government is sort of not at its strongest point. We get that as well. What does all that mean in Iran's involvement, please? Well, this is a very interesting situation now because Iran is is clearly involved. They're providing weapons and and support, um, probably financial support as well. We don't know. But one of the things that is um, uh, very clear, Iran has been calling for the destruction of Israel uh, for for many years. And um, Israel has put up a very good defense against Iran. The problem now is that, first of all, Iran is in an alliance with China and Russia. And that is very, very dangerous because we see what Russia has done. We know what China has done and what they're capable of. China has a foothold in Israel. Um, The the situation is complicated, but it's also very, very dangerous. And And it's it's different than it was before, as you say, with China now negotiating and blowing up the Abrams Accord and and, uh, working with Saudi Arabia and controlling oil. And things are just in the wrong place, aren't they? And and uh, it, you add to that that uh, the United States has has fallen from its position of leadership and is now 
you know, groveling around in the gravel, um, yeah. uh, offering no support to anybody uh, of any substance. Right. So, um, so, so, what we have is a situation which is mm-hmm. uh, essentially a, a, a gas leak in search of a spark. Right. Uh, gas. That's a hell of a way to say it: a gas leak in search of a spark. Um, now, uh, it, it, it pointed questions, just pointed, and I want to get a. Is this the point? Do you believe uh, Iran is making their move? Yes or no, Alana? Not sure. Not sure. Okay, fair, honest, honest. Uh, is it? Are we? Do you have a sense that this could pass over as just another thing, or uh, is this a tipping point? To sincerely, because we've been talking for years about this, or is this a tipping point to something more full scale there? Uh, it could be very well be a tipping point. Egypt is involved trying to create a truce. I see and- that. And and the Israelis are listening and not pulling out all the punches. But I do want to mention one thing, Malcolm, which is really important, and that is the Islamic Jihad is not the primary leadership in uh, military or otherwise in Gaza. Hamas is, but nothing happens in Gaza without the permission of Hamas. So this is a, a, a new dynamic that that Islamic Jihad has taken the lead in these attacks. A thousand rockets in five days can you even imagine it uh, yeah i know i hear you loud and clear uh iq let's pick up now where we're at now uh i talk about um i mean this was a very good exchange we just had in trying to make people understand iran specifically iran we know the enemy we understand china russia Iran. we got it we got all that what is this spark that Iran is creating? Where does this go, do you think? Where, where does this go? What are they really, I mean, we understand the context. They want to blow them off the map. I get it. Where does this go at this point? Well, it could go anywhere you like. It depends. As Ilana said, it only needs a spark and the gas pipe will blow. By the way, uh, with all due respect to Ilana, 1,300 rockets have been there. So far. <laughs> yes, thank you. Sorry, because I get I got the update, 1300. Yeah. So it's not the numbers. By the way, put it all in a nutshell. The worst offenders in all of the ab- above items and deceptions and betrayers are not the Arabs and Muslims, but the spineless Christian leaders all over the world who allow these untruths to take root without challenging them. In reality, and on the contrary, they aid and abet the Arabs and Muslims not only by their silence, but also by actually assisting them in the political arena of the UN, as well as among the lead and Christian clergy, of course, as always the criminal media. Mm-hmm. Finally, as we are speaking in today's 21st century, the most persecuted people on the planet are Christians by Muslims, but the Christian politicians Media, academia, and clergy are colluding in this genocide yeah. with their deafening and beneath contempt silence. Yeah, yeah. I have to put it the way it is because Europe is Christian, America is Christian. Yeah. I can't hide it. Yeah, no, we know this. And it's a fight of good and evil. It's out there. It's totally exposed. Uh, we're at a tipping point in the world. There's a lot of strange things happening. The calamities are many. Um, everybody's on the move. Evil's on the move. When you don't have, I mean, when you don't have um, the United States with a steady hand, you're seeing the repercussions of that. But when you also put a man in there that has been duly noted as having the worst foreign policy that exists in political circles, that would be a recipe for disaster. And now we're reaping the benefits of that, as we are throughout our country in many, many ways. So, you know, IQ, this whole thing with Iran, 
whether this is that tipping point that blows it off or not, they are that much closer to something. If I you well, you've told me previously, and I think Alana has as well, that they already have it. If they already have it, why haven't they used it? Because we already said they would use it when they have it, because they don't really care. They don't care about people or humanity, that's for damn sure. And they do want to wipe them off the map. Israel's aware of all of that. And nobody's paying attention to Iran or the nuclear weapons uh, uh, IQ because there's too many other problems in the world. It's it's blowing up in front of us here. So what do you make of all that? And uh, is this the point? Do you your heart? Do you sense that Iran being the aggressor? Is this the point where they try to push to uh, to to get more um, bigger attacks on on Israel? Because Israel, again, as you've already pointed out, is surrounded, surrounded by evil. Is this the point where they try to take Israel down? Yes, because because America is non-functional at the moment. Right. By the way, what with all due respect, Iran is still in the bulls arena. Why? Biden is still talking to them. Yeah. Biden is still talking to them and allowing them to progress in their attempt to get an atom bomb. Yeah. Well, we don't know. We we just simply don't know. Yeah. Uh, but there there are a lot of questions with all of that. Uh, Ilana, this story, let's get back to where Americans are and what they should take from this whole story uh, and the storyline of where it's going. I don't think people can, not only can they, it's hard to grasp the situation, how serious it is back with, you know, but a lot of this, when we talk about a World War III point of view, you get the alignment of states on one side and the other, which is, you've already pointed out with Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, you've got all the axis of evil uh, bridging together here. Uh, not a good situation at all. Can Israel defend itself at this point uh, properly? Or do you, do you see, or again, remember, they have nuclear weapons, Ilana. Would they use them? Well, in in their defense, I think uh, they would use them. That's why they have them. Um, but they would only use them in, in the event that they... Um, uh, well, first of all, remember that they have extraordinary intelligence capabilities and they have already been, you know, gone into Iran and done all kinds of things. They they actually remove the contents of a, of a complete uh, data storehouse um, from Iran. Uh, they went in there and they took it out and they were not even detected until it all was was over. So if they uh, get a sense or feel something happening, you believe they, there's no they would definitely use them. And that's that. I believe that they would have no yeah. choice because if it, remember that Israel, the Israel is so tiny, right. you could take the whole country and put it in the Lake Michigan, right? right. And yep. it would, and there'd be plenty of room for for yeah. you know, the fish. Yeah. So you're talking about a tiny country against a, a country which is a hundred times its size. Yeah. And and uh, it if 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 Iran were successful in um, delivering a nuclear weapon to Israel, it would completely wipe out the country. They cannot, Israel is not going to commit suicide. Right, so they would have to defend themselves at that Absolutely. point. We've always spoke about that, and they would have to be one up. They would have to know what's coming back to the level of uh, knowledge that they have. You're exactly right. And IQ, we've talked about that many times over the years. In other words, who strikes first? Uh, does Do they wait for an Iran to strike first or does Israel strike first? Because once you have nuclear weapons rolling, uh, what happens then? We don't. It's anybody's guess whether it stays right there in the Middle East or whether it spills over is anybody's guess. Last word, IQ. Israel would strike first. The instant it decides that they, 
Iranians are ready to strike, they will strike first. They have to have, they always have to have preemptive strike. They cannot take a first strike. Yeah, that's exactly. And and Ilana, you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's been the story right along. So, uh, friends, I wish I had better news to report today, but that is a convergence of crisis. Thank you for joining me on the mission. Uh, be sure to share this broadcast and share the out loud truth back at AmericaOutloud.com. I don't ask you to do much for me, but I'm darn well asking you to do that, please. Share, share, share this knowledge and information and get it out there. Thank you for joining me on the mission. It's time to get involved and get loud, America. <laughs>